All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we take a listener question about a topic that the listener was interested in. They visited our website, techgumbo.net. They went over to the question of the week tab and submitted a question. This week, the question is, are Hyundai's are Hyundai's really being stolen via USB? So that's a great question. And the answer is unfortunately yes, that thieves across the United States are going after Hyundai's and Kia's uh, because they're much easier to hack into than regular cars because all you need is a USB charger. That's right. So the USB charger, the USB port is just kind of been left open. They, there was no protections put on this these things. And then in 2022, the Kia Challenge ran on TikTok for a while, and it showed how to steal a car and then go on joyrides. Yeah, and so this is not a problem for other vehicles because they use immobilizers, which are a chip which sit there and check to make sure that the vehicle's actual key is close by the car itself. And so even if you just put the USB stick in that says turn the car on, they won't because the key's not nearby. Well, Kia and Hyundai apparently didn't think that piece of technology was necessary. And turns out, yes, in fact, it is necessary. So if you have a Hyundai or a Kia and you want to go to the dealership, they will put the patches on that will protect your vehicle from being stolen. Or you can call their 800 number and they'll send you one of those steering wheel locks that will keep your car from being stolen. But of the 10 million people who bought these cars, there's only about 20,000 of these things available. So don't wait. It's also interesting, the challenge came specifically from Milwaukee, a town which very randomly has almost two-thirds of all of their total vehicles are Korean cars. I, I don't know what that number is for the general U.S. population, but I'd imagine it's 5%, maybe 10%, and so, if not lower, and so that's Part of why the challenge originated there is probably why that is part of why it's such a big problem there is because you just have the density for it to matter. Whereas in some place like Baton Rouge, you know, if it's one out of every hundred cars, you're just not going to see it hit that same critical mass. 
Yeah, this is this is really fascinating, and I'm glad that they are actually trying to resolve this. For those of you who are wanting to keep your Kia or your Hyundai and not have it stolen, please contact your dealership as soon as possible and get it fixed. And so for that listener, thank you very much. We will be sending out the Tech Gumbo mug. If you want to see what the mug looks like, go to our website, techgumbo.net. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer, please submit a question. If we use your question, we will send you that mug for free. Now let's move on to the big story of the week. Hard to not talk about artificial intelligence and how it's permeating everyone's life nowadays. And it's kind of starting off in the accounting department today. This is very much the expected path here that a lot of CFOs who are normally pretty risk averse are starting to see that, you know, implementing AIs like this will make sense, will make dollars and cents. But they, they're wanting to dip their toe in first. And so they're going to try it in very simple places, very easy to manage places, very low risk places. They're looking to see, you know, a lot of those very labor intensive, very repetitive tasks that accountants work on that the accountants don't want to work on, but it's part of their job anyway. Can you just lighten some of that load? That's right. They, they're very adamant in the story. This was a Wall Street Journal article. They're not trying to take away jobs, not trying to get rid of accountants. What they're trying to do is make them more efficient, make them more productive so they can do the things that they want to do, not all the, like you said, labor-intensive things they have to do. Yeah, a lot of that, you know, drudge work that is so, you know, boring and mind-numbing and just moving numbers around on a spreadsheet all that stuff can be automated and all of a sudden you you're empowering your workers and this goes along with a string of stories that we saw we also saw a story about implementing artificial intelligence in drive-throughs and that if you no longer have a person sitting there wearing the headset and that how many of the orders can you take with just hooking up the large language model to a voice recognition software specifically designed around that one company's menu how well does it work? And it worked pretty well. So there was a, a writer for the Wall Street Journal. She went to a fast food restaurant in Maryland, I think it was. But she she went 30 times through the drive-thru and recorded all of them just to see how well it would work. And she had a, a set of parameters she she wanted to do. She, she asked the, the artificial intelligence about monkeys one time, and it said, I'm sorry, I, I'm not programmed to to deal with that you know would you like would you like a peach pie and so it it kind of it knew how to stay on task it knew okay you're messing with me but i'm going to be nice and bring you back to the menu and also if there was a question that it really didn't know how to answer it would just say let me get a staff member for you and so it was also it wasn't super quick to do that you know you could say Orders that went smoothly went well, you know, those would, you know, not need a human, but it definitely still would occasionally go grab the actual staff member. But if you think, all right, three out of 10, four out of 10, that just no longer need a human involvement, that's a pretty significant freeing of labor. The franchisee, he was very quick to say, hey, look, we're not trying to replace anybody. We just, we can get somebody who can take the order 
all of the everybody who's already working for us has other things they can do instead of just taking an order. Yeah, he, he was very specific. But look, we are understaffed right now. This is is not designed to remove any jobs. This is an augment. This is an enhancement. But you have to think that everyone else is just looking and seeing this as the test case, and that you know a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, once someone else has gone and worked out all the bugs and got it into a place wherever it is very functional and it works nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10, it is going to start to replace jobs. You, you just have to know that that's coming. And if it doesn't replace jobs, it's going to make you do other things. Like back to the accountants, they're upfront saying, look, 10 years from now, the finance and accounting professionals are going to be doing very different things. They're going to look more like data scientists and systems engineers than actual accountants because it's not going to be about debits and credits. It's going to be about manipulating data. And so just like the same thing back at that fast food place, instead of having somebody say, would you like fries with that? You've got somebody actually preparing the meals or you've got somebody taking the credit card or cash through the window kind of thing. And those are more important jobs. And just asking, would you like fries with that? Right. And also, the you know, one of the things that's being said about a lot of the, the white-collar uses of AI is that the human will become something much more of a middle manager. And that the right now, AI is it's a very excited entry-level employee. And that it needs guidance. It needs you to check its work. But it's it's capable of doing a lot of that base-level stuff. And so it'll be the human's job to sit there and manage five of them and they'll all sit back and report to the human and the human will say okay you know oh you know this went well that went badly go fix that and come back to me and so a lot of that kind of stuff will also be what the job will morph into is that it's, you're going to have to be able to become a, a manager or an editor or someone whose job it is to synthesize the work of a lot of inputs as opposed to being the work input generator yourself and and it's not just going to be the accountants. It's not just going to be drive-throughs. It's every job over the next five, ten years. The way we do work is going to change, and societal change usually takes ten, fifteen, twenty years to really take hold. Kind of like looking at smartphones. We're seventeen years into the smartphone, but everybody's pretty well adapted to them by now. AI, the, the chat GPTs, the BARDs, the large language models, they're not going to wait that long. You're going to have to learn how to adapt to these much, much faster, because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. Oh, and I think if you go further back, the time jump from a typewriter to a, a word processing software, that was closer to a full generation. And... This is not going to be a generational change. This is something that, like you said, five years, ten years at the max before this is just everywhere. And if you are someone who feels comfortable going, exploring, playing with it, we recommend that you do. We encourage you, just go to the free ChatGPT, their website, make an account, and just play around with it. Ask it some questions. Get comfortable with it because... You're going to need to <laughs> either either you do this the easy way or you do this the hard way. And that's that's all we can say about this. We've we've told you Microsoft is, is going to bake 
this chat GPT into Windows 12. It's, it's already implementing it. You're seeing it more and more in the Microsoft 365 products. Google is putting it into their G Suite. You're going to see this more and more and more if you don't start doing something with it now it's it's really going to race past you and that's that retraining of the mind retraining of the of the jobs i feel sorry for these people that are on on strike these writers out there in in hollywood that are demanding things be like it was in 1995 but i can take chat gpt and ask it to create a, a 20 minute sitcom and it do a pretty good job if I give it, I want this parameter, this parameter, I want this, and this is the, the, and boom, it'll give me the whole sitcom with 10 different characters. I didn't need a writer for that. And I think that's one of the specific things that they're trying to have blocked from contracts is that what Hollywood have been doing is having ChatGPT generate a base script and then bringing in some people to polish over the top of it. Because the ChatGPT isn't funny enough yet by itself. And so they'll they'll write a base and you just have someone come in, you throw up some jokes here and you, you know, tie together a theme or two there. And now you're ready to go on air. And they only had to pay one person for a little bit of editing work as opposed to paying 10 people for full generating. And so that's exactly what they're concerned about is how do you, you know, make sure that we're not just going to start churning out sludge not just going to start churning out infinite amounts of garbage because a, a chat GPT generated sitcom won't be as good to watch. You'll be able to watch it and tell that this was not written by a human because it'll just feel a little off because they're not good enough yet to do those things. And so hopefully we don't end up in that scenario where all of our content is just missing that spark. Or it's on youtube or TikTok, and because that's where a lot of content is headed it's user created not hollywood generated and that's also something that those that they're really concerned about out there so you know this whole artificial intelligence and where it's going intel is baking ai capabilities into their next generation of, of microprocessors yeah you have to that if you can produce a computer which is better able to make these calculations run this specific type of process then that computer is going to help compete so get ready for it but one of the disappointing things which you knew this was coming because somebody was going to go out there and build the bad guy machine there is now worm gpt which is the chat gpt alternative but no ethical boundaries or limits Yes, the bad guys are out there, and it is generating malware for them. It is generating phishing. It is generating spam. And it's not even that expensive. It's only about 550 euros per year for the license. And if you are going out there and scamming people, then it feels like 550 euros in a year isn't a high target to hit because the, the volume that you could send out you don't have to have a high hit rate. Yeah, this is really disappointing. You know, we've we've done shows where, hey, there really needs to be guardrails. There need to be limitations. There need to be human oversight. There needs to be, unless there's not. And when there's not, you get Worm GPT cranking out 
as much malware as people can ask for, and there's nothing going to stop it until we come up with some ideas from the IT world, the cybersecurity folks, who figure out ways to do that. But it's always a catch-up game. Yes, it's very much the sh- the sword and the shield, and that's the the bad guys just took a large leap forward, and it's going to be up to the cybersecurity professionals to also implement artificial intelligence in their defense tools. But not all is good with the large language models. Google's been now hit with a large class action lawsuit over BARD because BARD has been scraping data. This is ultimately one of the places wherever these large language models are going to run into huge problems, and it's over copyright. The idea that Google sat there and copied data from all across the internet, and so did Microsoft, so did ChatGPT, all of them. You know, Meta's LLM, they all sat there and went all the way across the internet, and they captured a lot of data and are aggregating it all together. Well, did they have the right to do that? Did they have the right to produce it into something new? Is that different than what humans do? Whenever I read a book or watch a TV show, and then I I think about those ideas, is that fundamentally different than whenever Google reads those things and then puts it into its outputs? Yeah, this is this is going to be interesting. The you know, and you know, ChatGPT is being investigated by the FTC. The Bard beans lawsuits. It's there's going to have to be some checks and balances somewhere. The guardrails that we've talked about, where somebody has got to have to get plugged in somewhere, some oversight organization that sets some rules. This is what's acceptable and this is what is not. Well, the problem is is that all these things are already made. You can't go in and and rip all the stuff out that was specifically copyrighted stuff and say, oh, we're just going to leave everything else. It exists as an entire product, and it seems like a lot of that copyrighted stuff is probably essential. And so this is what you're seeing with those image generating softwares is that they've generated some images that basically have the Getty Image logo in them. And so Getty Images is saying, hey, look, we know you copied that from us. You just remade our logo on it. The, the, the watermark you clearly stole from us. And that's a hard claim to beat. And this gets right back to that generational changes. Most things take you know several years to roll out and to get really running. And so you can build the guardrail so that it didn't go out and copy the Getty Images as opposed to ChatGPT, which did it in a week. Well, there's no way to catch up with that. The Bard is so fast at reading all of these, everything that's on the internet, and and to get it to slow down, get it to say, hey, look, this is what you can reproduce. These are things you can't reproduce without citing actual real data, not made up data. Yeah, that's been one of the problems that we've seen is that sometimes it will try to cite things, but it will just completely fabricate a source and then attribute something to a fabricated source. And so, again, that comes to the problem that is kind of inherent to these models is that they are not built on strict logic in the way that Google is. It is not just sitting there scanning a database of things and saying, ah, yes, 
Someone else has already asked this question. Someone else has already answered this question. I'm placing that in front of you right now. It is generating all of that on the fly, and that most of the time it gets the right answer. But whenever you're just kind of throwing probabilities together, sometimes you get out the wrong answer. And it's going to be really tough to actually squish that error down from 40% down to 20%, down to 10%, down to 1%. That's going to be really, really hard. And it's also going to depend upon the industry where you're implementing it and how much error is acceptable. So you're saying it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Oh, the genie is out of the bottle. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.